All right, well, well, we are in chapter 22 of the story, and so we're going to be talking about the birth of Jesus today. And so we, we didn't quite go with Christmas music for the whole thing, but we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time in Christmas right now. We're going we're gonna to have a couple songs here to really get us in the mood for the birth of Jesus and, and the time where we celebrate. So it is March, but we're going to celebrate Christmas anyway, right? And so we're going to, the, the next two songs really focus in more on the character of Mary and what Mary is experiencing and going through as she is, is having this child, this child of God. And so we're going to sing a familiar song for, for you and you can, you can join in that. And then the story that we've been going through has also produced a worship album and they have, they have written songs specifically for each of the chapters that we've been reading on. And they have a song for chapter 22 on the birth of Jesus. And so uh, I've asked Laura to sing that song for us and there will be some video clips going on of, of the, the narrative of the birth of Jesus. So we'll be able to enjoy that together. Just listen and put yourself into the place of Mary as, as we sing this next song and as Laura shares the song after that. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul magnifies to God the Father. My spirit rejoices in God the Son. Glory be to God the Spirit. My spirit rejoices in God. My soul what that name could mean. Some women only get nine months to prepare for what this journey will entail. Motherhood is both exciting and life-giving and rewarding. We celebrate with laughter and joy. 
But motherhood can also be disappointing, scary, sleepless nights, full of sleepless nights and worry, disappointment and fear. And all of those things we feel under normal circumstances. Imagine what Mary felt like when the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, God is pleased with you. You will bear the Son of God, and he is to be called Jesus, and he is going to save the people from their sins. Imagine what she felt like. The fear, and yet she chose to trust. Everything inside me cries for order. Everything inside me wants to hide. Is this shadow an angel or a warrior? If God is pleased with me, why am I so terrified? Someone tell me, am I only dreaming? Someone help me see with heaven's eyes. And before my head agrees, my heart is on its knees. Holy is He, blessed am I, be Be born in me. 
vacancy. I'm just a girl, nothing more. But I am willing, I am God, that is our prayer this morning, that you would be born in us, that uh, we will have a place that is, is vacant for you, and that you will move in, that you will move in and transform us. So God, be, be born in us. We thank you for Jesus and his gift and this time to, to celebrate him. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, the Wright brothers were having several attempts to try to get this winged contraption, this flying machine off of the ground, and they were finally successful in flying this, this contraption. And so they sent a, a telegram to their sister, and they were just thrilled with their, their accomplishment. So they, they send this message to Catherine, their their sister, and it says this, first sustained flight today, 59 seconds, I stayed in the air, 59 seconds, home for Christmas. And so this is the telegram, and, and in the newspaper, the headlines, that they're just really into this story, they say in the headlines, popular local bicycle merchants will be home for Christmas. Now, now, to their credit, the story did go on to explain the flight, but, but the headline, the big thing, the big event for them is the boys are going to be home for Christmas. And so often we miss the message, right? Or we miss the significance of the message. It's there, but, but our interpretation of it is not quite right. We miss the significance. We miss the power of the message that comes to us. So if you've been here with us, we are in the story. We're in chapter 22 now. Hopefully uh, you have had a chance to read chapter 22 as we go into the story of Jesus' birth. But we are really at a turning place here, this, this turning a corner where we, we've been in the Old Testament and we've seen the story progress. We see this God who wants to interact with his people. He longs for his people. He wants a relationship with his people. And so we arrive here at chapter 22. We arrive at the birth of Jesus. And so chapter 22 combines excerpts out of the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Luke. 
And so we're really trying to combine those three stories into one chapter. And so the editors here decide to start with John, right? This gives us the introduction to the story of Jesus. And as people listen to the message, as they receive Jesus, it's a lot like the Wright brothers. The message is not there for everybody. Some really realize what is happening. Others, not so much. We see in the story of Mary, we see in the the song that she sings that, that she's starting to get it, right? But others don't. They don't realize what Jesus is or why he's coming. And so chapter 22 opens up with these first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And our usual Christmas readings usually pull out of Matthew and Luke, right? Because those are the the stories of what happens. It actually gives us a narrative of, of how Jesus came. And so we read these stories, and we have our nativities, and, and we go through and the, the stories of the shepherds and the magi and, and the, the no room at the inn, and, and all of those are pieces of the narrative, right? But John gives us something different. He doesn't talk about how Jesus was born. He gives us the why. Why is Jesus here? Why did Jesus come? Why was he born in this way? And so we want to focus in on John's account here. We're going to read John chapter 1, starting in verse 1. This is page 309 of the story, if you have that. We want to focus in on the why, because we don't want to miss the message of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light is to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They missed the message, right? He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father Full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And so this is the introduction to our story. This is where we're going. This is 
This is the gift that has been given to us. And so it doesn't start with just a simple introduction, once upon a time. It starts with this deeply theological, deep, deep message for us of who God is. And not how he came, but why he came. And so as we look at the story of Jesus, the first thing we see here that John gives us is that Jesus came to reveal God to us. He comes in to reveal God to us. It says in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God puts skin on. He comes in and becomes flesh and and dwells here among us. God can be incredibly incomprehensible. He can be unimaginable. God is infinite. God is immortal. God is invisible. And that just blows our little minds, right? To think about who this God is. It's overwhelming. If you sit and think about it too long, smoke will start coming out of your ears. And so God, knowing that, sends someone. He sends Jesus to show us what God might look like and how he might behave. And now this infinite God becomes more comprehensible. I know what a person looks like, right? I know how they walk. I know how they talk. I know how they they breathe. I know how they live. I know how they die. I can relate to another person. And so, so God sends Jesus to reveal himself to us. And God doesn't just give us a description of himself. He doesn't just write us a story. He actually sends his son, this thing that is made in the image of him, this perfect image of him. And so we look at Jesus and we are able to answer the question, what is God like? He gives us an image of that. But we see here this strange description of Jesus. He uses this this phrase, the word. The word. And so when I was working in my undergraduate degree, I was majoring in communication because I couldn't figure out what else to do. And so we I was majoring sorry, James, another communication major, but it's worked out well for us. So majoring in communication, and we talk a lot about symbols, talking about how symbols are used to communicate. Some of those symbols are nonverbal, right? How we posture ourselves, how we, how we dress, how we act around others, those become symbols that communicate to others. But one of the most popular or most common things that we use as symbols are words, Words are just a bunch of letters that are pieced together haphazardly. The more you, you study languages, the more you realize, why is that a word even? It's like there's, there's these things that are put together. So, but they become symbols, right? So if I say watch, I say watch, you can come up with a few things because langu- uh, English is weird that way. And so watch may bring to mind something like a timepiece. And so I say watch and you look down and look at your watch. But this isn't really what he's talking about here when he says word. He's not talking about watch. He's not talking about letters that are pieced together because John is writing in the time of the Greeks. And the Greeks have this philosophy and they have this this word that they use, this word called logos. And this word logos does not just mean word, even though we translate it into word. Here's where symbols just get crazy. It really means a lot more than that. The word logos for them is really what they believe to be the divine intelligence or the force that was behind things. 
So it, it's so much more significant than just our vocabulary pieced together into a word. It's this force behind everything in the world. And so when John uses this phrase logos, he uses this word. You could read John 1.14 this way, this logos, instead of this word, this logos, meaning this divine intelligence, this force, this is what became flesh. The force of the universe, the force that drives everything and controls everything, has now become flesh. And so this is what John describes when he talks about the word. The message, the message version of John chapter 1, verse 14 and 18 says this, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. I love that phrase here that he uses, moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a king glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We see what it means that the word came and became flesh. And so God, Jesus comes to reveal God to us. But he also comes to really reveal ourselves to ourselves. He comes to be a reflection of ourselves. Have you ever tried to look out a window at night and the lights are on in the house and you look out the window and you don't really see what's outside, you see a reflection of what's inside, right? There's a reflection, even though it's a window, there's a reflection back on what you are seeing in the room. I was going to use the illustration of how many of you were in an interrogation room and there was a one-way mirror, but I didn't really want to know the answer to that question. And so there's this mirror here where you, it's, it's a window, but it's also a mirror. And so Jesus coming helps us to see ourselves more clearly, helps us see who we are supposed to be, who we're designed to be. Remember, Adam was made in the image of God, and Jesus is made in the image of God, but, but Adam's path did not go so well, right? Jesus' path goes perfectly. And so seeing Jesus made in the image of God, we see who we are called to be. We see the perfection of what we were created to be. We see the design that God has for our lives. And so Jesus provides this mirror for us to be able to see and evaluate ourselves. In John 1 verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all mankind. The light of all mankind. Jesus' life is a light for us all. Jesus is the only human being who ever lived and bore the image of God perfectly, and so he becomes this perfect example for us. He's the perfect example for what life was meant to be. When we're wandering around in a dark room, we, we trip over things and we, we hit our knees into things, right? And a light comes on and it reveals to us what is around in that room. Jesus is that light that comes in and reveals to us what is around us. He reveals a different reality. When I'm, when I'm poking around in the dark and stumbling through here, the light comes on, and now I know what this place looks like and where the hazards are, where the path is, and where I'm supposed to be. 
And so we look at Jesus and we're shown how to relate to things in the world around us. We're, we're shown how to relate to things like money, how to relate to things like sexuality and relationships and fear and power and worry and conflict and suffering. We spend a lot of time studying through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives us this structure of what life is supposed to be like. And so he reveals the light to those things. He turns the light on so that we can see clearly the path. But the third thing, the, the third thing Jesus reveals is, or th- that we see in John is Jesus came to restore us to God. He comes to restore us to God. So, so Jesus comes and reveals God. Jesus comes and helps us see who we're supposed to be. And then he comes to restore us into a relationship to God. Starting in verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus coming makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God. Our life can be reconciled with God, a perfect God, because Jesus comes and brings us in. We become sons and daughters of Jesus. We are not just off on the sideline. We are full heirs of the kingdom of God as his sons and daughters. There's no, no more intimate of a relationship that we can have than to be God's children. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Jesus Way, said this, The way we come to God is the same way God comes to us. God comes to us in Jesus. We come to God in Jesus. God comes to us in Jesus speaking the words of salvation, healing our infirmities, promising the Holy Spirit, teaching us how to live in the kingdom of God. It is in and through this same Jesus that we pray to and believe, hear and obey, love and praise God. Jesus is the way God comes to us. Jesus is the way we come to God. The way up and the way down is the same way. Those are powerful words that remind us of the restoration that happens between us and God because of Jesus coming. Father Damien was a priest who lived in a village in the Hawaiian Islands, in the Hawaiian Islands and for decades... He was in a village that was quarantined to serve as a leper colony. So lepers were sent to this village, and they were isolated there so they would not infect anybody else, and they could just die there together. And this is where they put everybody. And so for 16 years, Father Damien, who's right in the middle of the picture there with all the the residents of this colony, He served there for 16 years. He learned to speak their language. He bandaged their wounds. He embraced their bodies like no one else would. He preached to the hearts that would otherwise have been left alone. He was there with them. He organized schools. He organized bands and choirs. He constructed homes for them to live in. He built 2,000 coffins by hand so that the people could be buried with dignity. He was not careful about keeping a distance. He wasn't careful about separating himself from the people. He dipped his fingers in the same food that they ate. 
he was a part of who they were. But then one day he was speaking to the people. And in his sermon he said, We lepers. Because he was there and the, st- the, the crowd was stunned because he had contracted this disease as well. And so from that day forward, he wasn't just on the island with him. He was one of them. He was living with them, and he was dying with them. He was fully with them. And they knew from that point forward that he was all in, serving those people. And so it transformed that island and transformed that village from a place to die to a place to live. Father Damien's inspiration was the one and only Son of God, the one who came and was fully with us to the point of death. And so this is the story of Jesus. This is where we're headed over the next six weeks as we we look at who he is. Up to this point in the story, we've been reading about a God who wants to be in relationship with his people. He's pursuing his people, but he's pursuing in somewhat of a distance. He's pursuing through people like the prophets. And now it gets very personal. The story comes and Jesus comes, the Son of God. In Jesus, God comes near like he's never come before. He, Jesus is sent by God to live as we live and to die as we die. He's come here to be with us. And even more incredibly, he comes and he takes on our leprosy. He takes on our sin. He takes that on and he takes on the sufferings accordingly. And all on our behalf for us. In, God, in Christ, God comes nearer than ever before. And Jesus lives among us. Even more than, than coming to live and to die, he sent Jesus to take on our leprosy, to take on our sinful condition, to take on our suffering. And because of that, his life, his teachings, his death, his resurrection, because of all of that, our world is transformed. Our world is transformed because of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. God is with us. And so as we look at God's upper story, as we see the story that he's writing, there is this major turning point because now history will never be the same. Everything changes at this point, but it's also an intersecting point with our own lower story. The God's upper story and our lower story now intersect because Jesus is coming not just as some distant historical story to study about. Jesus is coming for each and every one of us. Jesus comes. And it's a turning point, not just for history, but it's a turning point for our individual lives as well. When Jesus comes in, when we meet him, when we encounter him, that is what changes everything for each and every one of us. There's a funny story of Richard Nixon. I don't know if there's many funny stories, but this is a funny one. (laughs) Going overboard in his excitement after the Apollo 11 um, had gone to the moon and come back. 
He's there talking to them. They're in this quarantine there, and he's having this conversation with him, and he gets so excited that he says, this is the greatest day since the creation of the world. And Billy Graham, who is <coughs> sorry, a friend and advisor of his, quickly corrects him, says, remember Christmas and remember Easter. Because these are the days where the world changed and history changed. It made such a big impact <coughs> that our dating system changed, that we record history before Jesus and after Jesus, B.C. and A.D. This changed the world. And so as we go through these stories of Jesus over the next few weeks, I hope that the familiarity of these stories does not wash over you, that, that many of us know the story of Jesus. We know the Christmas story. We know about how he was born, and we even know why he was born. But I want us to, to re-engage and really remember those stories and the impact that they have on our lives, the turning point that is in our own life. Remember Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. This is the gospel message. This is what we see that, that Jesus comes to us. Jesus comes to us. Corey Ten Boom, Boom put it this way, we can celebrate 10,000 times over Jesus' being born in Bethlehem. But until he's born in our lives, it won't make much of a difference. We can celebrate Christmas every year. But until he's been born in me, it won't have the transformational impact that it can. It makes no difference until it's happened in me. And so as disciples of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we are in constant evaluation and in constant reflection of what Jesus means for us and how our lives are continually transformed. It is not just a one-moment thing. It's not just a one-decision thing. It's this lifelong process of seeing in the mirror the example of Jesus and becoming more and more like him each day. And so we take steps every day, and we help one another with those steps to become more and more like him. Let's be standing together. We're going to spend some, some time in prayer. This is a time for you to, to reflect personally on what Jesus means to you, an opportunity to reflect on, on what God is saying to you through his word. It's an opportunity for you to come forward and pray with, with me or one of the elders. It's an opportunity for you to pray with one another, and you can, you can cross the aisles and get together in small groups and, 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 and pray together. It's a time for us to encourage one another and challenge one another and, 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 and be in mutual edification of one another. And so my, my hope is that, that we can see Jesus, we see the story of Jesus in new and fresh ways, and we're reminded of the impact that he has on our lives. It may be that you've never responded to, to the call of Jesus to, to put him on as your Lord, to, to, to be immersed in the waters of baptism, to say Jesus is who he says he is, 
and I want him to be born in me. And so if you would like to respond in that way, I'd love to visit with you down front as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for, for the story of Jesus. We thank you for his life, his death, his resurrection, and the transformed lives that we have, the, the restoration and reconciliation with you that we, we find in him. God, I pray that, that through this time of, of prayer and worship that we will, we will draw closer to him and closer to each other now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.